Well, I welcome you uh, again today to one of our live streams, and I thank you so much for tuning in. The Lord has been very gracious here at Graceway Baptist Church to use these things. They're going out to different places and different parts of the country. In fact, I have uh, had communication from people in California and people in Minnesota that are watching our services. And so, Graceway, you can be very pleased that in spite of the limitations upon us during this time, the Word of God, well, it's um, the Apostle Paul said at one point that the Word of God is not chained. And so it's very, very good to know that we are still doing what we're supposed to do. And through technology, God has given us the opportunity to spread his word to other people in other places where it normally would not go. So we give him praise and glory for that. And um, I've been talking to some people even today about how we've got to, as people of faith and as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, to in particularly our church, in particular our church, embraces the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, right? And so a sovereign God has allowed this period in time through the pandemic, through the unrest and through the political upheaval and riots and those kind of things. He's allowed that to happen. And we have to wonder why has he allowed this to happen? And that's where kind of the mystery is on one respect because I don't know and you don't know and none of us really know how this is all going to come out. We all have our hopes and we have uh, dreams about what we would like to see happen. But we don't really know for sure except for this one thing. This is what we know. A sovereign God somehow gets glory out of all of this stuff that we're going through. And if we think that all of this is just all up in the air and it's all political and it's all the devil and it's all other things like that where does that leave God and his rule and his reign and his power is he sitting in heaven wringing his hands is he having a convocation of angels to figure out what the next step is going to be or how we can make good out of all of this or is he a loving and compassionate and yet an all-powerful and all-knowing God who is working through all of this and if you're like me, you have to remind yourself that God is still on the throne. God is still in control. And God knows exactly what it is that he is doing. And we've got to trust him. And as we trust him, he will use us. And he'll use us in ways that are exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. According to the power that works in us so that Christ may receive glory throughout all generations until the world ends. That's a paraphrase of Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. That's the hope. That's the bedrock that we stand upon. We've got to believe that, and we've got to act like we believe it. Some of us, when we come to church, we'll say amen to those kind of statements and we'll even argue with other people about the doctrinal aspects of those statements and then walk out of the doors and we almost hit the panic button or we become angry or we become frustrated or we become combative with other people who don't agree with us and uh, we kind of um, torpedo, I guess, our own ship 
when we do that. And uh, we don't need to do that. That's the wrong thing to do. And the good news is to know that Jesus made a promise that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And we need to rest in that and just be obedient and faithful to him. A little encouragement there. So as we think about that, let's turn to the book of Haggai. You see what I did there? If you watched last week's thing, you know exactly what I did. Uh, turn to the book of Haggai, and let's look back in chapter 1, and let's go to verses 1 and 2. And uh, before we read those, just in case you weren't here last week, or to refresh your memory, you remember that Israel has had a uh, civil war, and there are two kingdoms. There's a northern kingdom called Israel. It consists of ten tribes. And there's a southern kingdom. It's called Judah, named after the tribe of Judah. And Benjamin has been the tribe loyal to the tribe of Judah, and they make up that southern kingdom. And God has been dealing with his nation for their unfaithfulness, for thy idolatry, for a long, long time. And he allows the Assyrians to come in as he warned his people. The Assyrians come in and take the northern kingdom captive. It collapses. But the southern kingdom of Judah, they kind of have this thing. I've sort of seen this in my lifetime in the United States. They say something like this. You ever said this? It'll never happen here. It may happen in China. It may happen in South America. It may happen in Canada. It may happen in Mexico. But it will never happen here. Well, that's what Judah said. Uh, it's not going to be like that here because we are the place where the temple is. And uh, this is where the Jews come to worship. This is the house of God, they would say. And so it's never going to happen here. And so they were kind of casual and haphazard. Uh, they would still go through the motions of worship, but their heart really wasn't in it. And God kept warning them and warning them and warning them. And then along comes Nebuchadnezzar, and he invades Judah, and he captures Judah, and the temple is absolutely destroyed, and it is plundered. I've made this statement before, I've always found it ironic that if any one of those Jews had walked into the Holy of Holies, they would have died immediately, even the high priest, if he went in unprepared, uncleansed, or on the wrong day or at the wrong time, he would have died. And yet Nebuchadnezzar's people walk in there and even put up, according to Psalm 78, their own pagan banners in the place where the temple once stood. And uh, God allowed it. And they plunder the temple, and they take uh, people captive to Babylon, the brightest and the best. And so uh, the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel, uh, they've been left decimated. And the temple is just a mountain, a huge mountain of rubble. And so all of these times during this um, exile to Babylon, they haven't been able to offer the sacrifices. They haven't been able to do those normal things that they would do because there's no temple. So after a period of time, decades, a king, Cyrus, a Persian king, he has made a decree that the um, captives in Babylon can go back to their homeland. It wasn't just Israel, it was any of them, and they can rebuild their temples. Okay? So a remnant goes back home to Judah. Uh, 
And this is a letter to the remnant. Now the remnant started the temple. They built the foundation of it. And you remember we read the scripture that it said the old people who remembered the former, former temple, that they wept because they could tell this new one is not going to be anything like what Solomon had built for them. But the younger people who had never seen the temple, they were rejoicing and they were shouting. And it's a reminder to me that those of us who are older, we need to be careful that we don't rob the joy out of the younger generation. It may not be like it used to be, but at least it's happening, right? And they, the old people should have been happy that the young people were interested and that they were rebuilding the temple. But sadly, sadly, they stopped at the foundation. They didn't build any further on it. And it's been 16 years. And so God has a word now through Haggai the prophet. And the word is, it's time to start rebuilding the temple. You've had plenty of time to get things in order. You should have had it done by now. You've had plenty of time to build your own houses. Why haven't you gotten your priorities in order and built my house? Okay, with that in mind, let's, let's uh, pick up. And we'll go at verse 1. We'll just look at two verses. The word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, uh, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Okay, let's just stop there and let's just make some really basic and common observations. In fact, so many times the understanding of the Word of God is much more in the simplicity and the observation that we have more than it is sometimes in the deep, dark, mysterious things that we find. Sometimes we get so tangled up in it we can't see the forest for the trees. And um, we need to see all of this, and we need to see it together. So I'm going to make some statements here. The points are going to be extremely obvious, but they must not be overlooked. And the first thing that uh, I would draw your attention to is, this is number one, God has a message for His sinful people. Now, why did I put His sinful people? We are so bad about thinking that God has a message for the sinners out there, for the sinners that are messing up everything, for the sinners that are, uh, you know, so much worse than us, that we forget God has a message for us. And why did I phrase it this way? Because the people of God then, just like the people of God now, were living sinful lives. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's not just before your salvation, folks. That's the way you live now. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. We're all familiar with that, that if we confess our sins, right? He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But as you read the verses around 1 John 1, 9, you find that John addresses a problem that some of us, well... We would never admit this, but the way that we live kind of betrays what we really think. We don't see ourselves 
as still being all that sinful. The Bible says, if we say we have no sin, then we are a liar and the truth is not in us, right? And so God has a message for his sinful people because saved people, redeemed people, liberated people still have a problem with sin. The old hymn says, prone to wander. That's not wonder like W-O-N-D-E-R. I just wonder about things. It's W-A-N-D-E-R. We tend to stray. We tend to head the wrong direction. We tend to take life into our own hands. We want to try to control things. We want to be the master of our lives. We want to be the captain of our own ship and our own fate and all of that. I think about that blasphemous poem Invictus that uh, says that. And uh, that's what Timothy McVeigh, by the way, quoted before he was executed. And uh, he found out very shortly he was not the captain of his own soul or his fate or however that is put. Well, we have that tendency to try to do that even as believers. How many times have you disobeyed God? And I know maybe you didn't commit adultery and maybe you didn't become involved in uh, homosexual activity or something like that. And what you did was very small and what you did was maybe even unnoticeable to other people. And yet at the same time, what was happening? You were still being disobedient to God. You were still living life in the power of the flesh. You were still living in your own strength according to your own agenda. And that is every bit as sinful as anything else. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And all you have to do is to fail to glorify God in anything. All you have to do is fall short of the glory of God. And that's the definition of sin. Now how often have you done that? Sometimes it is unintentional. Sometimes it is even ignorant. But there are far too many times when we know what we're doing. And we know we ought not do it. But we just do it anyway, and we think it doesn't really matter. And because the consequences don't seem to hit us, we think that it's just no big deal. But God always has a message to his sinful people. And we are those sinful people, just like the ones during this time when uh, Haggai is speaking. God always has a message. Don't think that because God is silent that he doesn't have any thought about anything don't think that because God doesn't immediately do something that he doesn't care or that he kind of says it's okay don't worry about it you've got my permission because that's certainly not the case these people have been in sin for 16 years that's a long time 16 years And it wasn't that God was going, ah, you're busy. Ah, it's no big deal. Ah, I don't really live in a house built by hands anyway. Really? Is that what God is saying? That's kind of what the people thought. Go ahead with your own life. Go ahead with your own family. Go ahead and build your own houses. Don't worry about me. I'm no big deal. No, God waits 16 years. And then he comes down and he has a message for them. And the message is the same as it would have been 15 years before or 10 years before or 5 years before. This is the message. This is what God thought. And this is the uh, uh, contradicting the way the people were thinking and the way that they were acting. And they 
should have known. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say they probably did know. Somebody knew. Somebody was getting this. And then God finally uh, speaks. And he speaks to the people here. They may have forgotten him. They've gone about with their own lives. They've gotten used to walking past the rubble of the temple. Have you ever noticed, um, for those of you who have done this, when you get a new car, if you get a brand new car, how do you take care of that car when you first get it? Uh, I know you keep it clean. You know, you vacuum it out. You don't want it getting messed up because it's new. You don't want it getting messed up. How do you treat that car when it's five years old or 10 years old. That's ah, an old car. It doesn't really matter. And you don't notice all of the scratches. You don't notice the stains in the carpet. And you don't take care of it. That's kind of bad stewardship, by the way. But isn't it interesting that some things that bug you when the car is new, you don't even notice later on. Maybe you've done that with your house. When you buy a new house, you know, you want to work on everything. You want to keep everything up. You want to keep it all clean. You want to get things painted. You want to do all of that kind of stuff. But after you've lived there for a while, you don't notice things so much. In fact, whenever you get ready to sell your house, have you ever noticed how you pay attention to the flaws more than you did when you were living there? Why? Because you're seeing them through different eyes. And the different eyes, you know somebody's going to come to your house, they're going to look at it in order to buy it, and they're going to notice the things that are not repaired, the things that are not right, the things that need to be cleaned up. So you work harder to clean up your house to sell it to strangers. You work harder on that than you do even for your own family to live in it. Something doesn't seem quite right about that because you just get used to it and you don't notice it. Sometimes it's good to have... Somebody else, maybe you look at your house and say, hey, tell me what you see. Tell me how this hits you so that you get it ready for sale. Okay, New eyes make a big difference. What was happening during the time of Haggai? It wasn't that people walked by and said, nah, don't ever worry about finishing the temple. I don't think that was their idea. I think they always had good intentions. Well, the weather will be better later on. The economy will be better later on. There will be a better time to do this better than now. We'll get it done later, some other time. And then as the years went by, they got used to seeing the rubble. It no longer embarrassed them that there was rubble from Solomon's temple there. That mountain that uh, Zerubbabel was confronted with, right? Uh, they no longer noticed the foundation. You know, somebody ought to do something. Why don't we get busy and start working on this thing? They, they didn't really notice it. It didn't capture their attention anymore. They were just too busy going on with their life. Now, don't we do that so often? And we get used to the sin in our own life. And we don't notice it. Oh, maybe we would if... It were public, maybe we would if someone caught us, maybe we would if the preacher were, uh, happened to be nearby or something like that, or if our kids saw us. But, you know, for us, it's, you know, no big deal. And one of these days, I'm going to deal with that. One of these days, I'm going to get rid of it. That's kind of the way the people of God were. And it wasn't that God all of a sudden just said, I've had it and I'm going to deal with this. He's always felt that way. He has always hated sin. He's always been offended by it. And now he is 
going to confront them and he is going to give them his word and his message, his unchanging word. So God has a message for them. They may have forgotten, but he has not. He has not forgotten them. He's not forgotten the covenant. He's not forgotten the promises. He's not forgotten those sacrifices and those offerings and all of those things that brought glory to his name. He's not forgotten about the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant and the high priest and the blood that was sprinkled on the mercy seat or the two goats or any of those kind of things. They may have forgotten and gotten used to not doing them, but God has not forgotten And God has no doubt about what he is going to say and what he thinks about all of this. I get a little bit, uh, well, I just saw something on Facebook this morning. I was reading a comment under somebody's post, and it said, I think God may be trying to say, and all that, and it just got my attention. God doesn't try to say anything. God is not trying to get your attention. God knows exactly how to get your attention. Have you paid attention to what we've been studying on Sunday morning in Exodus? It wasn't that God was saying, hmm, how can I get Pharaoh to see this? How can I make this happen? I'm going to try to get this done. God knew exactly what he was doing, and he was in control of the whole situation, even of Pharaoh's heart. In fact, the Bible tells us the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wills because God's got a plan through the ages and he's going to bring every part of that plan to fruition. It's not just going to be the end that works out. Every component getting to that end is going to work out. You see the point? And so as we think about God speaking, he's always got an opinion. It never changes. He's always got a message, and that message has been given to us through his word. And we are very, very, very fortunate to live in a day and age where the word of God has been completed and where it has been written down and where we can actually have a copy of it and we can look from Genesis to Revelation and we've got the mind of Christ and we can hold it in our very hands. We ought to be studying it, we ought to be treasuring it, and we ought to care more about it than we actually do because God always has a message for his sinful people and that would include you, wouldn't it? Because you're not perfect yet. And God is sanctifying you and working on you. Secondly, God not only has a message, but he has a messenger. Now notice this is not the word of Haggai to these people. It's not something that Haggai says. Somebody's got to say something. I get a little tickled um, on Facebook. In fact, I I posted uh, a picture. It was a meme one time. That it said, I posted my opinion on Facebook. There, that should fix everything. And some people have the idea that everybody on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, that they're all just saying, oh, if somebody would just say something that would make sense. Oh, boom, there it is. Now my whole outlook has changed. Well, you and I know the truth is nobody's doing that. And you're not changing anybody's mind with any of those kind of things. And sometimes we as even God's people get a little bit ugly And we forget that we are posting things that people made in the image of God are going to read 
And we need to be careful what we call them. We need to be careful what we say. And we need to be careful about the tone. We need to be careful about all of that because sometimes we detract from the gospel and the glory of God. And we should never, ever do that. Remember what the Bible says about the way we're supposed to speak. Some people are too quick to post on things. And they, um, you know, they, they uh, put it on there so quick and they need to reread it and they need to think about it because the Bible says we're supposed to be slow to speak and swift to hear and slow to wrath as well. There's a word for us in there. Well, there's always a message and it's always given through a messenger. God has his word and he is giving it through his servants. Now we need to understand we are supposed to be ambassadors for Christ. You know what that means? We take his word and we give the word of the king from our homeland to the king in the land where we are living. An ambassador, you don't need an ambassador in your own country. There's no ambassador to the United States living in Washington, D.C. or anywhere else. Our ambassadors are in Beijing. Our ambassadors are in Berlin. Our ambassadors are in London and Paris and places like that. And they bring the word of the United States to that foreign country. Now, if the ambassador says something and acts in a way that the president doesn't uh, like or it misrepresents him, that's an ambassador that's going to be called home, right? We would expect that. And so if you have an ambassador somewhere that starts spouting off that uh, President Trump is an idiot and you can't believe anything that he has to say, what do you think is going to happen? There'll be repercussions because that's a bad representation. Uh, the ambassador doesn't represent himself. He represents the country, the United States, and the president in particular and his policies. Well, that's what we are while we're here on earth. And we are messengers and we are to give the word of God. Haggai was not giving his word to these people. He was giving the word of God to these people. And you and I are to be conduits for the word of God. I think it was uh, John MacArthur that I heard say this one time. And there may have been several people because it probably didn't originate with him. But he said, if you go to a restaurant and you make an order and you order, you know, a ribeye, baked potato and a salad, let's say. And so the waiter goes, I'll make sure that's taken care of. And then uh, you are waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And pretty soon you see the waiter coming back, holding the tray, and he's got your meal. And oh, man, your mouth starts watering. Your stomach growls a little bit. And you can't wait to tear into all of that. And then you see the waiter frown and put the tray down. And then he picks up salt and he starts salting everything. And then he starts moving things around. Then he takes your baked potato off, tosses it in the trash, and replaces it with broccoli. Okay? What are you going to do when that waiter brings that to your table? You're going to have something to say about it. Because the waiter is not supposed to mess with the food. He's just supposed to deliver the food. Let the chef prepare it. Let the waiter deliver it as the chef prepares it. You know what... Uh, Dr. MacArthur said, as preachers, we need to be careful that we are not messing with the food that the chef has prepared. God has already prepared the message. He's the chef. 
We are just the waiter bringing it to the people and we need to bring it the way God delivered it. Bring it the way the Word of God says. And that's the way we are as ambassadors for Christ to our friends, to our neighbors, to our family, on the workplace, in the school, wherever we are. We don't need to monkey with the Word of God. We just need to deliver it as God has prepared it. And that's what is happening here. Uh, Haggai is merely the messenger. He's the one who is bringing the word of God to the people. And notice that he's an ordinary man, called and gifted, of course, but he's given a message. And number three would be this. This messenger has a target audience for maximum effect. Now notice he doesn't get up with a loudspeaker and say, this is for everybody. It was for everybody. But notice how he is strategic and the ones that he talks to. He talks to the governor, right? And that's going to cover the political, governmental, social, secular part of life. And then he also speaks to the high priest, and that's going to cover the religious, spiritual, and moral side of life. And we need to understand that physical needs and spiritual needs are both addressed, and they're both important. And we understand also that what Haggai's point is, not that one is necessarily bigger than the other, it's the way we prioritize them. We all have spiritual needs, and we all have physical needs, and we know that. But there are some times when you need to be praying, and other times you need to go to work and make money. There are some times where you need to be reading and studying your Bible. There are other times when you need to be in the backyard playing catch with your son. There are some times when you need to be witnessing to neighbors and ministering to the poor. And there are other times when you need to be uh, in your home watching a, a good movie with your family and eating popcorn and spending time together with them like that. Our problem is not that we don't know what to do. And our problem is not always that we don't do it. Our problem is we don't always get it in the right order. And Judah's problem at this time was that they were far too busy on the other side. Is it sinful for them to have their own home and to take care of their family? Absolutely not. The Bible says in the New Testament that if you don't take care of your own relatives, especially those of your own household, you're worse than an infidel and have denied the truth. We are to take care of those things. But are those things to be the only things that we do? It's interesting to me that some people in the name of family, they make an idol out of family. And whenever family happens, it comes first. And then God and his church and any ministry that we have gets pushed to the, sh to the side. And baseball becomes Lord and soccer becomes Lord. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes being a workaholic, that becomes Lord. Sometimes it turns into the more obvious things like addiction and alcoholism and pornography and those kind of things take over our lives and crowd everything else out. Well, we need to have everything not balanced. I don't like, I'm getting where I don't like the word balanced because it doesn't always balance. But it does have to be prioritized. The Lord comes first. Service to the Lord comes first. And in the service of the Lord, the Lord knows how to meet the needs of our family. The Lord knows how to meet our physical needs. I was talking with a person one time. They were so, um, I guess, 
well-disciplined, I guess you would say, that they would get up at 4.30 every morning and they would read all kinds of devotionals, some 20 devotionals every morning, and yet they were so grumpy by noon or early afternoon. They were uh, short-tempered and sharp-tongued and you could hardly stand to be around them. And I remember telling that person, they said, I don't understand. I do all of this for God. And I said, you know, sometimes the most spiritual thing you could do is maybe go home and take a nap and uh, get in a better frame of mind so you don't misrepresent the Lord and hurt God's people. You know, there's a balance. Well, no, there's a priority in all of that, that if I'm seeking first the kingdom of God, all these other things will be added unto me. The Lord knows what you need to do and what you are capable of. And so um, when God's people obey the word of God, every part of life and society will be touched and everyone is also accountable. And then number four, and we'll wrap this up here, he has a blessing to give. It's not just that God is angry and he wants you to know how mad he is. It's not just that God wants to slap you around and he wants to hurt you and make you cry. That's never the goal of a parent, even if they use corporal punishment on their children. What is it? It's love. It's because they want to correct the child. And it's because they want that child to be able to grow up to have a better life. They want that child to be able to grow up and relate to people and be a good steward and have a good walk with God and be able to shepherd their family well and be a productive member of society and a good part of the church, all of those kind of things. Well, God wants to bless his children. And he knows the problem because he knows the people. You know that's true about you? God knows your problem because he knows you. And he knows what it is. Yours may be a little different than mine. And mine may be a little different than yours. And it all comes down to sin, doesn't it? But sometimes it manifests itself in different ways. Well, God knows. And he is confronting what is wrong, but he's doing it out of love. Read Hebrews chapter 12. He is graciously going to correct it. He loves you the way you are, but he loves you so much he's not going to let you stay that way. That's what he's doing with these people, this remnant in Judah. And God earnestly desires to bless them, and he earnestly desires to bless us in every aspect of our life, but we've got to honor him first. And so he confronts us so that he might change us. And so the problems in life are simply either physical or spiritual. Every time, every time, every time. Now, what has to happen is that the Lord, being the author and sustainer of both, he gave you your physical life, and he is the one that keeps you alive. He knows how to prioritize all of those things. But he also made you and created you spiritually when he... Uh, rebirthed you into the kingdom of God. And that's what we've got to know and we've got to understand because both of those are addressed in the scripture and we need his wisdom. Why? Because we want to operate and function under his blessing. So that's what he's doing then. And you know what? That's what an unchanging God is also doing now. And that's why you need him. And that's why you've got to prioritize your life around his priorities. And he will put them all together in the right way 
that they need to be for his glory and for your good. For your good. Romans 8, 28 and 29. So thank you for tuning in and thank you for uh, paying attention to these verses. I pray that it feeds your soul. Now glorify God in everything that you do and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you.